This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Another adventure from the Old West is dead ahead as we get set to enjoy another tale with James Stewart in the lead role of Britt Ponsett, a drifting cowboy in the final years of the Wild West. Episodes range from straight Western drama to whimsical comedy. A trademark of the show was Stewart's use of whispered narration during tense scenes that created a heightened sense of drama and relief when the situation was resolved. show was created by Frank Burt, who also wrote many of the episodes. One old-time radio directory called the program a last desperate effort by a radio network to maintain interest in adventure drama by employing a major Hollywood star in the leading role. Well, that may be true, but I, for one, am happy they did produce the show. Here's tonight's show entitled Silver Annie. In a moment, you'll hear James Stewart as the six-shooter, just one of the many great stars brought to you on Sundays on NBC. Every Sunday, hear Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy in The Marriage, Sir Lawrence Olivier on Theater Royal, Lawrence Tibbet with the Golden Voices, Helen Hayes, Frederick March, Rex Harrison, and Lily Palmer on the NBC Star Playhouse. All of them heard only on NBC. James Stewart as the six-shooter. The man in the saddle is angular and long-legged. His skin is sun-dyed brown. The gun in his holster is gray steel and rainbow mother of pearl, its handle unmarked. People call them both the six-shooter. Coleman, America's leader in modern automatic home heating equipment, and the National Broadcasting Company present James Stewart as The Six Shooter, a transcribed series of dramas based on the life of Britt Ponson, the Texas plainsman who wandered through the Western territories, leaving behind a trail of still-remembered legends. Now, in just a moment, immediately following this important announcement, you'll hear Act One of The Six Shooter. The Red Cross trains millions of Americans each year in first aid, water safety, home nursing, and as volunteer nurses' aides. Volunteer nurses' aides assist professional nurses in hospitals and clinics. This help requires skill. It is through the Red Cross that you and your neighbor can get that skill, can get that training. Through the Red Cross, you can answer the call of your family and your community. Help make this training possible. Give through the American Red Cross Fund. Now, Act One of The Six Shooter, starring James Stewart. 
Virtue City was over the crest of Bare Neck Mountain and then down the northern slope. That's why you couldn't see the town until you were almost there. Not in the clouds. There always seemed to be a stack of thick marshmallow clouds along the side of Bare Neck. And by the time you got through them, the town was right in front of you. Anyway, it was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon when I hit the city limits. And at least what had been the city limits 10, 15 years ago. Of course, nowadays, houses on the outskirts weren't, weren't much more than just loose timbers and broken windows. When I reached the main street, things looked more normal. Not like a real town, of course, but... Well, the mercantile was open, and the bank, and the post office. Ten or twelve stores, maybe, all still doing business. I spotted what I was looking for. Oh, boy, oh. The sign on the opera house said, Rocky Mountain Western Railroad, Virtue City Office. Well, I... I guess they might as well use the opera house for something. Jenny Lynn sure won't be singing there anymore. Not like she did for the grand opening. Uh, howdy. Afternoon. Excuse me. Oh, sure. Mind handing me that box? Hmm? That, that one there on the desk. Oh, oh, this one, yeah. yeah I want to put these papers in it. Yeah, thanks. Uh... You're cleaning out the office. That's huh? right. I see. Yes. Moving to another place. Yeah. Well, I, I guess there's plenty of vacancies in Virtue City, isn't there? Yeah. There'll soon be one more. Oh, wait a minute. What? You leaving town? I sure am, mister. In three weeks. That's what I wasted here. Three weeks. Well, I'm not wasting any more time. Tomorrow night, that's the deadline. Then I take the stage. Virtue City doesn't deserve a railroad, and they're not getting one. Hmm? Well, what's on your mind? Uh... Well, I, under the circumstances, I'm not exactly sure. That's no surprise. Nobody's sure of anything around here. No, no. What I mean is I was figuring on signing up with the railroad. I've laid track before, and I thought that I, uh... Well, I I heard the new line was going through Virtue City. You heard wrong, mister. Uh-huh. Well, I'm sorry to have troubled you. There's other folks who should be sorry. Gave me their word. Said they'd have the right of way free and clear. Ought to sue them. That's what we ought to do. Hmm? Over here what? in the courthouse. What? It's me, Doc Cross. What? What? Oh, oh, hello, Doc. Come on in. I said, come on in. Oh, well, sure. Doc? Second office, Britt, on your right. Oh, ah. Uh, gee, I, I didn't know you were still living on a... What? Well, what in the thunder are you doing in a wheelchair, Doc? Oh, I fell off my horse a couple of months ago. It was his fault, not mine. Oh, his fault. Oh, sure. Yes. Did you break anything? Well, I ain't positive. I had to send for Doc Sampson over to Watsonville. He says I broke my leg. Oh, butcher. Don't think he'd know a broken leg from a floating kidney. If you ask me, he's keeping me off my feet so he'll get a crack at all my patients. Oh, well, Doc would do you good. Get a little rest. Mm, maybe. Hey, sit down, Britt. Sit down. Thanks. Well, I was kind of surprised to see the courthouse still open. I, I thought they'd moved the county seat over to Fort Gray. Politicians. Yeah, those people in Fort Gray bribed the legislature. That's what they did. But we'll get the county seat back again. Just you wait and see. Meantime, we're using the courthouse for a city hall. <laughs> I guess we got just about the fanciest city hall west of Denver. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I'm the mayor now, Britt. Oh. 
Wow. What about you? What brought you to Virtue City after all this time? I hope you ain't just passing through. I'm afraid so, Doc. I was aiming to sign up at the railroad, but since they ain't coming this way... Not coming this way, but... Who well, told you that? Well, that fellow over at the opera house. Oh, that Nelson, Thad Nelson. Don't pay no attention to him. Well, he works for the railroad, doesn't he? Well, yes, he does. But he ain't never wanted the line to go through Virtue City anyhow. He'd rather rent the way of Watsonville. If you ask me, Watsonville is paying him off. Oh? That's the reason he's been looking for an excuse to get out of our contract. He figures this trouble with Annie will let him off the hook. Annie? The silver Annie. You remember her, Britt Annie Huxley. Annie Huxley? Oh, Annie Huxley. Oh, sure. Well, I thought she'd moved away. No such luck. She's still sitting on the old Huxley mine like a hen hatching eggs. Only thing is, there ain't no eggs in that mine, not anymore. Well, what's she got to do with the railroad, though? Well, Britt, the route's been surveyed to go through her property. Town agreed to secure all the right-of-ways a railroad would need. We're willing to pay for them and a good price. But Annie's not satisfied with what you're offering. We don't know. She won't talk to us. Won't even let anybody near her shack. Oh, oh. She just sits there day and night, right by the window with her shotgun <laughs> poking out. Anybody comes on her land, she lets go. Oh. Got some fool notion there's still silver in that mine, and folks are trying to get it away from her. <laughs> well, I'm crazy. That's what she is, if you ask me. Oh, I wouldn't say that, Doc. Maybe Annie's living the past a little bit. She's got quite a past to live in, too, you know. Chief was I, I remember about her wedding to Sin Huxley, about how he put down a street of silver dollars all around the church. You remember that? Yes, well, that's beside the point. I sent for Clyde Huxley. Clyde? Clyde? Yeah, oh. he's a relative of Sin's, a distant cousin or something like that, but a relative. We had to pay his fare all the way out from Chicago. Mm-hmm. He's seeing Annie yet? That's where he is right now, and he'll straighten her out. You see, he's a lawyer, and he's not the kind to put up with any nonsense. So, uh, well, Mr. Huxley, I didn't see you ride up, and I've been watching the street. I didn't ride. I walked. You, oh, now, don't tell me that horse of mine threw you, too. I, I'm just going to... didn't throw me. Where will I find the chief of police? What? I'm charging that woman with attempted murder. Oh, you don't mean Annie. I certainly you? do mean Annie. She ought to be locked up. And if I have anything to do with it, she will be. Oh, uh, then she... She wouldn't sign over the right away, huh? Not even for you, her own kin. I didn't get a chance to discuss it. She shot at me, point blank. Well, don't look like she hit you. It was a miracle she didn't. Well, I, I guess she just didn't know who you were, Mr. Huxley. She didn't recognize you. I told her who I was. Right after that, she fired. <laughs> yeah, well, some folks just don't cotton to relatives, it seems like. Well, she, she tried to kill me. Oh, no, she was just defending her property, Mr. Huxley, uh... If she'd wanted to kill you, you wouldn't be walking around now. Annie knows how to handle a gun. Well, now, we, we gotta do something, Britt. If we don't have that right away by tomorrow, Nelson, he, he's the railroad man, Nelson will leave town. The railroad will go through Watsonville, and that'll just about wash up Virtue City once and for all. Well, now, there must be some way of explaining things to Annie, Doc. I'd throw her in jail. I'd just have to make her more cussed than ever, you know. But, say, maybe there is another way. Sure. Somebody she trusted, somebody who didn't have no axe to grind, she'd listen to him. Now, uh, now, Doc. You got those papers already for her to sign, Mr. Huxley? Uh-huh. Doc. Uh, well, then uh, give them to Britt. Doc, uh, now, this ain't my affair, Doc. Now, I don't want to get mixed up with this. Oh, I know you, Britt. No, you but I... don't let us down, not at a no, time like this. I... Go on, Huxley, give him the papers. Now, wait a minute. We'll Doc. never I... forget what you're doing, Britt. The whole town will be in your debt. Just get her to sign them. The places are marked Doc. with an X. Doc. I knew I was riding up to the Huxley mine. Annie's shack was next to the main shaft, about a hundred yards off the road. 
I slid down out of the saddle and tried the gate. Holy smokes. Padlock big enough to protect the Denver Mint was chained around the post. Well, I had nothing else to do but climb over the fence. Getting on toward dusk. Now, I, I didn't know whether to sneak up on Annie unawares or just walk up to the front door in plain sight and take my chances. While I was making up my mind, I, I flattened down behind a pile of wooden boxes. And I, well, at least one thing was certain. I wasn't going to sneak up on her unawares. Go on! Be it! Next time I won't miss. I'll put that thing down, Annie, or I'll shoot it out of your hands. Well, who's off there? Who is that? Britt Ponsett. Britt? That's right. I'm on a note. None of the flea-bitten skunks from around here would have nerve enough to talk to me that way. All right, I'm coming in, Annie. I guess there's no stopping you. Not that I believe you'd ever try to shoot this gun out of my hand, Britt, no matter what you say. Well, that makes us even, man. I don't believe you would aim it at me, either. Uh, how are things, Annie? Well, not too bad. Not too bad. Hey, close that door, will Sure, you? sure. Fact of the matter is, Britt, I've been working the southern shaft lately. Found a vein that looks real promising. One of these days, the Huxley will be going full force again. Mm-hmm. Now... Annie, now, you don't really believe that. Why, of course I believe it. Why shouldn't I? We took a quarter of a million dollars out of this mine, Sin and me, and there's plenty more. It's just a question of finding it. Here, you want some coffee? Yeah, yeah, thanks. Now, these hills have been worked dry, Annie. There's no silver in them, not anymore. And that's why I came up to talk to you. Here. Drink your coffee. Thanks. It's about the right of way for the railroad. You're just wasting your breath. No, but Doc Cross said you didn't know anything about the railroad, that nobody had been able to explain it to you. Oh, nobody had to explain it. There's nothing goes on in Virtue City that I don't get wind of. I ain't lived here 35 years for nothing. Oh, Doc says the town needs the railroad, needs it bad. Why, I got no objection to a railroad into Virtue City. Probably need it myself to haul the ore out when I strike a rich vein. But the line don't have to go through my property. Mm -hmm. In a mountain country like this, railroads don't have much choice. I asked Doc Cross, the only other route would cost a whole lot more money, more on the Rocky Mountain Westerns willing to pay. Well, that ain't my problem. All I care about is the Huxley. And they not laying any tracks across it. All right, Annie. All right. That's the way you feel. Thanks for the coffee. Oh, uh, I guess maybe I ought to warn you. Your cousin's talking about putting you in jail. <laughs> he ain't my cousin. He's Sin, and Sin never had no use for him neither. Well, whoever he is, he's... And as for talking... putting me in jail, he'll have to find somebody to come out here and arrest me first. From what I've seen of him this afternoon, there ain't much... Ja- there she is, hey! uh, Give me that gun, Annie. Make no trouble. Uh, what's, what's going on here, Huxley? I told you I was going to swear out a warrant for arrest. Thanks to you, the sheriff was able to serve it. Great, Hans, it. Oh, wait a minute, Annie. Of all the low down me. Annie. Keeping me occupied so no, they no, could I... sneak in here. No, Why? Annie, come on, Annie. Let's go. Listen, Annie, I can swear I've done that. enough listening to you already. Annie. Take your hands off me, sheriff. 
I ain't one of the girls from Crawford's saloon. I'm Silver Annie Huxley. And when I go to jail, I go under my own power. We'll return to James Stewart as the six-shooter in a moment. First, a word from Coleman, America's leader in modern automatic home heating equipment. When winter comes, does your house shrink like this? Well, I guess it's time to close off the two back rooms. There's just no way to heat them. Don't deprive yourself of valuable living space. Get a Coleman floor furnace or wall heater and enjoy new warmth and comfort in the hardest-to-heat rooms. A Coleman floor furnace or wall heater takes up a minimum of space, yet it gives you constant circulation of fresh, warm air, just as a big basement furnace does. You'll be snug and comfortable all winter long. And if you're interested in economy as well as comfort, listen to this. Coleman floor furnaces and wall heaters are low in price, low in operating cost, because Coleman gives you maximum heat from the fuel you use, either gas or LP gas. See your Coleman dealer tomorrow. You'll find his name and address in your telephone directory. Remember, comfort costs so little with a Coleman. Now, Act Two of The Six Shooter, starring James Stewart as Britt Ponsett. Well, they put Annie in a buckboard and started out for town. I rode alongside for half a mile or so and tried to tell her I wasn't part of getting her arrested, but she wasn't listening. So I gave Scar his head. It was about nine o'clock when I got back to Virtue City. The place looked even stranger by night than by day. Just a light here and there where folks were living. And then whole blocks of darkness in between. Sort of like a like the candles on a cake when part of them had been blown out. I stopped off at the mansion hotel long enough to get me a room, and then I headed over to Doc Cross's house. He was sitting in the living room eating a box of hard candy when I got there. Come on in, Brick. Come on in. How'd you make out? Get her to sign on the dotted line? No. Uh, sorry to hear that. Uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, oh, I ought to know better than to eat this stuff with my teeth. Sure is good, though. Have a piece? No, no, thanks. Yeah. <clears throat> well, now, you mustn't feel too bad, Britt. I was afraid you wouldn't have much luck with her. So was Mr. Huxley. He, uh, he went ahead and got that warrant drawn up. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Oh? Yeah. I was there when the sheriff arrested her. She thinks I was in cahoots with him and Huxley. Oh, well, now that's a shame. But don't you worry. I'll see she finds out the truth. Oh, I guess it served me right for getting mixed up in her affairs. Now, you wasn't mixing, Britt. You were just doing us a favor, and we're all much obliged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, sending for Clyde Huxley was just about the smartest stunt I ever pulled. Maybe, maybe so, but you haven't got the right away yet. Mm, we'll get it, Britt. We'll get it. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think jail and there's the answer. Besides, you'll have to turn her loose anyway. Huxley can't make that charge of attempted murder stake. No, he's not charging her with anything, Britt. What? It's just a question of whether she's got all her faculties or not. That's what the hearing will be about. You mean... Well, you mean he's claiming she's crazy? Well, you said yourself she was peculiar. I said she lived in the past, that's all. 
everybody's got something to remember does that, more or less. Well, in her case, it's more, not less. Of course, it's up to Judge Drayton to decide. Well, hasn't there got to be medical testimony in a sanity hearing? Yep. Huxley subpoenaed me this evening. Oh, doggone a dog now. This just isn't right. Huxley's her only relative. He looked up our state law. It says the nearest relative can demand a sanity hearing if there's sufficient cause. You take that mine away from her, you'll break her heart. Now, now, wait a minute, Britt. You said yourself this wasn't none of your business, that you were sorry you mixed into it. Sure, uh, but it just looks like I got mixed up in it. All right. Good night, Doc. I'll see you later. I want to get this clear. You admit firing a shotgun at various people who've approached your place of residence at various times. I've shot at people trying to get into the Huxley mine, if that's what you mean. Mm, That's right. Now, how often has this occurred? As often as they tried it. (laughs) Now, order, order, now, now, you you come to order. It's a very serious matter. Now, let's see, where was, oh, yes, well, uh, uh, surely you must admit this uh, behavior of yours isn't uh, exactly uh, normal. It's normal for me. Now, order. What I mean is the average person doesn't use firearms on harmless visitors. The average person don't own the Huxley mine. I do. Uh, <clears throat> uh, yeah. Your Honor. Uh, go ahead, Mr. Huxley. This is the crux of my poor cousin's delusion. This feeling of hers that the Huxley mine is of some great value, that it still contains silver, when we all know that it's worthless. And just how do you know that? You've proved it to us. For ten years you've lived there and searched the shafts every day. Have you found silver? Even a trace of it? No, I ain't. You see, Your Honor. If that makes me crazy, then sin must have really been out of his head. He spent 12 years prospecting that mine before he made his first strike. I still got two years to go before I'll be even with him. Yes, but there was silver there then. There is now. Your Honor. I'm sorry, Mrs. Huxley, but after what Doc Cross said and then what you yourself say, well, I'm afraid that uh, uh, the law allows me no alternative. Uh, but the... uh, excuse me, Your Honor. Now, now see here. We're not going to have any more interruptions. Who is that man, Doc? Rip Hudson. What? Six shooter? Yes, but now don't you let well, me talk to you. Well, if there's something you wish to say, Mr. Ponson, this here court will be here. happy to hear you. Oh, thanks, Judge. Uh, I've been listening to this hearing, and uh, like Mr. Huxley says, it all seems to hinge on whether or not there's any silver in the Huxley mine. I mean, what, what I mean is, if there was silver, then Annie's actions wouldn't seem so strange, would they? Well, uh, no, 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 uh, I suppose not. Uh, she'd be protecting a valuable uh, piece of land. But... Yeah, well, now, uh, I think maybe you ought to see this report here. You see, I took some ore samples from the Huxley mine over to this assay office this morning. And, uh, well, well here, here's one of them. I'm uh, afraid I don't uh, quite follow you, Mr. Potter. Well, if you'll just read that report, Your Honor. Uh, let's see our samples... Tested, show a value of approximately $125 a ton. What? $125? Yeah, I figured they'd run a little higher, but I guess... Uh, I guess right here. They yeah, let me see that, Judge. I can't believe it. Well, that, that that's what it says, all right. $125. Brit, Brit, this all come from the Huxley? Yeah, yeah, that's where it came from. <laughs> listen, listen, everybody. Everybody, Annie's found silver again. For all we know, the whole...
Look, you've got a contract with my company. We don't need your railroad, Nelson. We've got silver. Yep. <laughs> Now, uh, now, I wouldn't be too hasty, Doc. Of course, there's no possibility of bringing the line through the Huxley now, I suppose. But uh, there is that other route. It'd cost Mr. Nelson's company a little more money. Uh, but, that, uh, that, that might be arranged. Uh, of course, I'll have to check with the main office. Oh, you would? Huh? Oh, well, that seems a shame. Too bad you can't sort of make the decision right now on the spot, you know, before another railroad hears about the silver and tries to beat you in here. Oh, you know? no, no, no. On second thought, there really isn't any reason to delay the matter. If you'll just drop by my office, Dr. Cross, I'll send the contract and uh, give the order to begin construction on the other route. Uh, yeah, I think that'll Well, I guess that takes care of everything, except Annie and the sanity hearing. I, uh, you were just about to hand down a ruling, Judge, weren't you? Well, there's no question about her sanity. And I'm surprised at you, Mr. Huxley. A lawyer of your standing, pressing a complaint like this. Why, Silver Annie Huxley is one of Virtue City's outstanding citizens. Always has been. Always will be. Uh, Court's adjourned. Inside of five minutes, the only people left in that courtroom were me and Annie. It's a funny thing, you know. She was the only person who hadn't been excited about the silver. She just kind of stared at me without budging. And then the corners of her lips sort of wrinkled up into a smile. Great Ponce? Yes, ma'am. You better get out of town before they find out. They'd Tar and feather you for sure. Well, what, what, uh, what, what, what are you, what are you talking about, Annie? Why, you think I didn't recognize that piece of ore? I ought to. I've been looking at it for thirty years. Uh, hmm. Them samples have been sitting on my dresser ever since Sin found them in his first strike. No. You saw them last night. You knew they were souvenirs from the old days. Well, they could have been something that you dug up recently, couldn't they? <laughs> I'm not saying you lied, Britt. All you told them was that the ore was from the Huxley. That's true enough. It's just a good thing they didn't ask you when. Yes, I guess it is. I guess it is, yeah. Well, anybody can make a mistake, you know. You knew what you were doing. And you knew the railroad would be coming through the other route before they got wise. No, I, I wouldn't exactly say that, but uh, under the circumstances, I kind of think maybe I'd better leave town. Don't you think that would be? <laughs> so long, Annie. Wait a minute, Britt. I want to thank you. Oh, well, nothing to thank me for, Annie. It just looks like I can't tell old ore samples from fresh ones. That's all. <laughs> A month or two later before I heard about Virtue City again, bumped into a fellow in Idaho Springs who was heading up that way. Said there'd been a big silver strike near the town. I, I tried to talk him out of going over there. I told him it's probably just a false alarm. He wouldn't listen. He said there'd been a false strike three or four weeks ago and everybody went out prospecting. And the first thing you knew, somebody found silver. The real thing. 
Well, I had a newspaper from Virtue City to prove it. Editorial on the front page was by Doc Cross about moving the county seat back to where it belonged. Mm. Well, things sure have a funny way of working out, doesn't it? Here's a tip for more great dramatic entertainment each week on the NBC Radio Network. Direct from his great hit in From Here to Eternity comes a new dramatic Frank Sinatra to play the hard-hitting adventure role of Rocky Fortune every Tuesday evening. And if comedy is your weakness, you'll want to know that Fibber McGee and Molly are now heard every day Monday through Friday on the NBC Radio Network. Remember, you'll hear more of America's greatest radio programs if you keep your dial set to this same station of the NBC Radio Network. Coleman, America's leader in modern automatic home heating equipment, and the National Broadcasting Company have presented James Stewart as the six-shooter. Mr. Stewart may currently be seen in the Universal International picture Thunder Bay. Others in the cast were Jeanette Nolan, Dan O'Herlihy, Herb Bygren, Robert Griffin, and Parley Bear. The Six Shooter is an NBC Radio Network production in association with Review Productions and is based on a character created by Frank Burt, and the transcribed story is written by him. Special music was by Basil Adlam, and the entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone. All characters and incidents were fictitious, and any resemblance to actual characters or incidents is purely coincidental. Hal Gibney speaking. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for the wild goings-on at the residence of Fibber McGee and Molly. When the title of the show is Mushrooms or Toadstools, you just know somebody's going to get in the pickle. Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. <laughs> the makers of Johnson's Wax for home and industry present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie, with music by the Kingsman and Billy Mills Orchestra. When you bought your linoleum floor coverings, you gave a great deal of attention to their colors and pattern and their quality. You wanted them to be just right for your home, and you hoped they'd last a long time and retain their original beauty. Well, as a matter of fact, good linoleum will last many years, indefinitely if it's properly cared for, but if it's scrubbed continuously, it breaks down and wears out. Well, now, fortunately, the proper way to care for it also saves you work and time. Johnson's self-polishing glow coat is so easy to use. It takes no rubbing or buffing. Shines itself as it dries. It protects the linoleum surface against dirt, moisture, and wear. Keeps original colors bright. Regular use of glow coat makes linoleum last six to ten times longer. No matter how old your linoleum now is, it'll pay you to protect it with self-polishing glow coat. And uh, when you put down new linoleum, be sure to give it glow coat protection from the first day. Yeah. 
there's anything the squire of 79 Wistful Vista likes to do, it's surprise his wife. And if there's anything that gives his wife cold chills, it's her husband's surprises. Get a load of him now, coming in the front door with a bag full of mushrooms he picked in the woods. As we meet, Fibber McGee and Molly. Hey, Molly, I got a surprise for you. Hey, Molly, look what I got. Animal, vegetable, or mineral? <laughs> oh, I'll give you a hint. What do you like with steak, kiddo? Piled way up high on top of it like this. Mashed potatoes. Oh, no. McGee, now, if you brought home a paper bag full of mashed potatoes... Ah, <laughs> uh, you're just not used to high-class eating, Molly. Here, look. My goodness, mushrooms. Yep. Make a dinner fit for a king. And you're looking at His Majesty, Fibber the First. They're beauties, ain't they? Lovely, but they're certainly dirty. Huh? You'd think a careful grocer would at least clean them before he sold them. Grocer? No grocer ever laid a mitt on one of these. I picked them myself. You pick... <laughs> you betcha. You remember Nat Wolf? Yes. Well, I picked these mushrooms in that little patch of woods across the river from where the brewery is that Nat's uncle owns a half interest in it. Yes, but dearie... My gosh, since this warm spell set in, they're popping up all over the place. And nobody picking them. I had the place all exclusive to myself with nobody else there. Hmm. You don't suppose that's because other people might be afraid they were toadstools, do you? Toadstools? <laughs> that's ridiculous. They'd have been toadstools, I wouldn't have picked them, would I? That was my question. <laughs> Boy, don't they look good. I've had my puss puckered up for a mess of mushrooms ever since for I don't know how long ago. <laughs> and these are the best kind, too. Little button mushrooms. Yeah, that's the kind of a button you ring for an ambulance with. You're not actually planning on eating those things. Not eating them? Why, certainly we're going to eat them. Steak and mushrooms. That's the menu for tonight. Why, you love steak and mushrooms. Look, dearie. I'm not easily frightened, but I don't want any mushrooms picked by amateurs. What? I'd just as soon skip rope with a high-tension wire during an electrical storm. Oh, now you're just being... Hello, Mrs. McGee. Hello, Mr. McGee. Hello, Alice. I didn't know you were home. Hi, Alice. I just got home. Were there any phone calls for me or anything? Just one, Alice. Sergeant Carling called. Oh, yes. Cliffy Carling. He's the one that's in the camouflage corps. Oh, I remember that guy. He used to stand out on the lawn disguised as a tree. <laughs> Never knew whether to shake hands with him or prune him. <laughs> yeah, but you cured him of that when you started to carve Fibber Loves Molly on his stomach. Yeah. <laughs> Where is he now, Alice? Well, I, I don't know, but he said he was sending me a boomerang. A what? A boomerang. That's one of those sticks you can hit yourself in the head with if you throw it far enough. Oh, he must be in Australia Well, I think so Anyway, he says he sees a lot of those birds that think they're alone when they stick their heads in the sand oh, What do they call them? Isolationists <laughs> Hey, Alice, don't make any plans for dinner We're having steak and mushrooms Steak and mushrooms? Oh, jeepers, yep. I love mushrooms, Mr. McGee I was going to a chop suey place But now you couldn't get me out of here with a ten-ton truck Driven by Van Johnson <laughs> <laughs> Tell Mr. Johnson to stop for me and honk twice <laughs> This is really going to be a treat, Alice. I picked the mushrooms myself. Well, I simply... I... Ad what? He picked the mushrooms himself, Alice. He can tell a mushroom from a toadstool from a mile away, and I wish he had. But don't, uh, uh, don't people get sick from... I mean, isn't picking mushrooms in the woods sort of dangerous? Oh, sure it is. Liable to get pneumonia walking around on the wet grass. <laughs> I always wear my overshoes. Oh, no, I... I well, I'm I... glad one person around here appreciates the finer things to eat, Alice. 
Mrs. McGee doesn't think she wants any mushrooms. Mrs. McGee gets cold chills up and down her girdle at the very thought. <laughs> okay, okay, I guess Alice and I can eat all of them. Hey, Alice, we'll have us a feast Oh, gee, you... I just happened to think, Mr. McGee, hmm? I promised Monty Fraser I'd go out with him tonight for, uh, uh, for dinner. I forgot this was Wednesday. But this is and... just Tuesday. Oh, I mean Tuesday. Anyway, I thought it was, well, jeepers, I better run up and get into my mink-dyed rabbit. I'm, uh, terribly disappointed, Mr. McGee. I love mushrooms, but, well, see you both. Both later, I hope. Ah, why is everybody so scared? Anybody think I didn't know a real mushroom when I saw it? Well, tell anybody to move over and make room for me. <clears throat> well, I don't care what anybody else has for dinner. I'm having steak and mushrooms. And I'll get somebody to eat them with me, too. Hand me the phone. Here. Thanks. Hello, operator. Give me Dr. Gamble's office at the north end of Mert. Is that you? Oh, dear. How's oh, every little thing, Mert? Tis, uh... What say, Mert? Your old man. Hiring a kite again, eh? Isn't that awful? No, he couldn't buy a kite for his little nephew, so he's hiring one for a week. <laughs> what say, Mert? Okay, thanks a lot. Doc's not in. Hey, where's my cookbook, Molly? I seen a recipe in there for mushroom gravy that's out of this world. Well, I don't know, but you will be too if you eat it. Come on, Molly, you know the cookbook I mean. That old-fashioned one that kids around about using butter. <laughs> oh, I know where I put it. Where'd you put it? Right here in the hall. Oh, oh. Somewhere in this... Ah, here it is. Right where I put it. Between the moose head and my old mandolin. <laughs> Heavenly days, the way that stuff falls out of here, don't tell me you know where to look for things. Why, sure, I got it organized. I always throw it in the closet in the same order, and it always falls out in the same order. <laughs> ah, scientific and logical. <laughs> See? Snowshoes go in first. 
Then the moose head. <laughs> Bull moose. <laughs> then the tennis racket. And the ice skates. Then the uh, skid chains? No, no, then the camera tripod. Ah, and then the skid chain. Now all the little stuff. Picture frames, tennis rackets. Last, my old mandolin. Well, that takes you. Hey, where's my cookbook? Back in the closet between the moose head and the mandolin. What? You mean I threw it back in the... <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> ah, Beulah's probably got a good recipe for mushrooms anyway. Hey, Beulah. Oh, Beulah. Somebody ball for Beulah? <laughs> Yes, Beulah, Mr. McGee wishes to discuss tonight's dinner menu with you. It's a sort of a culinary last will and testament. <laughs> last who and which, ma'am? Skip it, Beulah. Look, we're going to have steak and mushrooms for dinner tonight. Can you handle an assignment like that, Beulah? Miss McGee, ma'am, this is equivalent to asking Mr. Kaiser, can he build a rowboat? <laughs> mushrooms is one of the fondest things I am of cooking. I got me a prescription for mushroom gravy I've been just itching to try out. Well, you can scratch now. I can scratch now. <laughs> my, my, he start right off. I was fixing to cook some grease for dinner tonight, but I, I can hold him till tomorrow. You were uh, going to fix what for tonight? Some grease. Grease? What kind of grease? Just plain little old grease. Huh? <laughs> Mr. Toops sent him over, been in deep freeze since he went hunting last fall. Oh, you mean grouse. Well, there's two of them, ma'am. <laughs> two grouses is grease, ain't they? No, Beulah, the plural is the same as the singular, like fish. Yes, I sure do. <laughs> Particular catfish, but I better get down to the grocery and get the stuff, up. You know, I like to select the mushrooms myself. Oh, just get a steak, Beulah. Mr. McGee already has the mushrooms. Somebody give them to you, sir? Nope. I picked them myself out by the brewery this morning, Beulah. Uh-oh. What do you mean, uh-oh? I just rehearsed my phone call to the hospital, sir. Uh-oh, <laughs> 729. Hospital? My pop always said that when you picked your own mushroom, you was taking a long chance on a short life. Uh, now, let's not be silly about this. I'll take the entire responsibility. I'll cook the mushrooms myself. After all, my reputation in these mushrooms will be just alike. How do you mean, McGee? They'll both be at stake, won't they? Uh-huh. His reputation in mushrooms is <laughs> Love that man. McGee, you're not really serious about eating those toads or those mushrooms, are you? Why, certainly I am. Mushrooms are good for you. Full of vitamins and iodine. Iodine is good for the styroid. Thyroid. Huh? It isn't sty, it's thigh, if you'll pardon the expression. Well, anyway, everybody knows mushrooms are highly nourishing. And there isn't anybody that... Hello, folks. Hello, Mr. Wilcox. Hi, Junior. You like mushrooms? <laughs> Why, I love them. You want some? I'll tell you where to get them. Go see my cousin, Big Ozzy Wilcox. He's on 14th Street there. You tell him No, that... Mr. Wilcox, no. Uh, pardon? I got some, Junior, a whole bag of them. Just wondered if you'd be in the mood for a mushroom dinner tonight. With steak. Would I? Say, if you're having steak and mushrooms, you couldn't blast me out of here with a block, Buster. <laughs> <laughs> 
You mind if I call my wife and tell her I won't be home? Go right ahead, Mr. Wilcox, but I think McGee ought to tell you that he picked... I picked you to have dinner with me, Junior, because I and you are mushroom lovers. Go on, call the little woman and tell her you're tying on the nose bag over here tonight here. Okay. Hello, operator. Give me Wistful Vista 13724. That's right. Look, McGee, I think you ought to warn Mr. Wilcox those mushrooms aren't exactly... Hello, Punky Wonk. This is sweet stuff. Oh, my God. <laughs> Been married five years and still Cupid, stupid. Uh, listen, Fudge Puss, I won't be home for dinner tonight. <laughs> no, with Fibber and Molly. Steak and mushrooms. Yeah, sure, I'll be thinking of you, baby, when I put sugar in my coffee. Ah, is this drip really necessary, Junior? <laughs> Quiet, pal, I can't hear. Uh, what'd you say, Snooky Pook? She did. Well, I'm sorry I wasn't there, but if she calls back, tell her that Johnson's Wax is the perfect way to protect leather goods. Yeah, and tell her about how it protects lampshades and windowsills and floors and furniture, too, against wear and dirt and dampness. You know, you'd think she'd know that story as well as he does by this time. She, she probably hung up on him long ago, and he's just talking for our benefit. He's always... Uh, what's that, baby? Oh, sure, Johnson's Wax saves hours of housework because it makes surfaces so much easier to keep clean. Hmm? Well, tell her I'll send her a folder from the office. Okay, lamb chop. Huh? Oh, wait a minute. I'll find out. What time are you having dinner, Molly? Well, about 6.30, Mr. Wilcox. McGee is cooking it himself, so it'll probably be a little later than usual. Yeah, nobody else will have anything to do with these mushrooms, Junior, in spite of the fact I picked them myself. You picked them yourself? <laughs> Hello, Angel Puss. I've changed my mind. I'll be home for dinner. <laughs> yeah, bye now. Gee, I'm sorry, folks. I just remembered I've got to sit up with a sick friend tonight. Who? You. So long now. <laughs> Gosh, you'd think I was deliberately going out of my way to poison everybody. Oh, not everybody, dearie. Just a few intimate friends. <laughs> Look, let's throw out these mushrooms or toadstools as the case may be. Throw them out in the alley No, and... sir, by George. Now I got my back up. <laughs> I don't care how many other rats desert the sinking ship. I'm staying with it. I'm having these mushrooms for dinner tonight if they could... Well, I'm having them. All right, pet. I only hope you do get Dr. Gamble to come for dinner. Though who'll take care of him, I don't know. I'll go out and fix the salad. At okay. least I'll have the satisfaction of knowing that's okay. Okay. Ah, there goes a good kid. I can read her like a book. She'll watch Doc and me for a couple hours after dinner, and if we don't fold up, she'll sneak out and eat the rest of the mushrooms. <laughs> Only there won't be any more mushrooms. Between me and Doc, we can account for it. Come in. Hi, mister. Oh, hi, Teeny. Come on in. <laughs> Gee, what you got in the bag, mister? Candy, mister? Can I have a piece? Can I have a piece? Now, if it was candy, you'd can I have a piece, all right, sir. <laughs> it happens to be a bag of mushrooms. Hmm? I says this bag is full of mushrooms. You know what mushrooms are? Sure I do, I bet you. My daddy told me. He did, eh? Hmm? I says he did, eh? He did what? Your daddy told you what mushrooms are. I know it. <laughs> what are they? Well, they're not particularly beautiful, sis. They look like the buttons off your Uncle Elmer's old overcoat. <laughs> but properly cooked, they make old ladies leap up and kiss the busboy. <laughs> Here, take a look. Oh, Jiminy, toadstools. <laughs> they are not toadstools, they're mushrooms. And there's a lots of difference. What is the difference, mister? You mean you never heard about the origin of mushrooms and toadstools, sis? No. Well, sir, it's a fascinating little hunk of natural history, sis. Oh? Recline in that rocker and rest your rompers while I give you the lowdown. Okay, mister. Gee, you haven't told me a story for a long time. Well, this is a doozer, sis. Once upon a time... I've heard it. You haven't heard this one. I'm ad-libbing. Hmm? Skip it. Okay. Once upon a time, there was a great forest that was full of little people. 
You know about the little people? Sure I do, I betcha. <laughs> I'm one of them. <laughs> I mean little people like elves and pixies and leprechauns and fairies. Oh. Well, sir, half of these little people were bad little people, and half of them were good little people. Gee. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. The good little people were always happy. Swimming in the buttercups after the rain. <laughs> eating honey out of the flowers. Listening to Jack in the pulpit on Sundays and everything. <laughs> But the bad little people were always snarling and nasty to each other and to the good little people. Uh? Well, even good people won't stand being pushed around too much. So one day they had a terrible battle there in the woods. Oh, they were throwing acorns, beating the bajunior out of each other with twigs, <laughs> throwing each other into gopher holes, just generally raising cane. Uh? And finally, the king of the forest heard the ruckus and told him to break it up, quit the quarreling. But the bad little people wouldn't and the good little people couldn't. And that made the king angry. And he waved his magic wand and boom! The good little people were turned into mushrooms and the bad little people were turned into toadstools. Mm. That's why toadstools are so poisonous and mushrooms are so good. See? Gee, that's a wonderful story, mister. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good myself. I can hardly wait to tell my teacher. Hmm? I bet she'll revise her entire schedule of nature study, I bet you. Huh? What do you mean? <laughs> under the delusion that mushrooms and toadstools are a clammy fungus growth that live parasitically upon decaying vegetable matter and are produced from thread-like spores disseminated by the wind and grazing animals. Huh? Just wait till I tell her that the lack of chlorophyll has little or nothing to do with their development. <laughs> You're so stubborn, Molly. You're just doing yourself out of a wonderful steak and mushroom dinner. 
Boy, when you see Doc Gamble and me turn into them mushrooms... Oh, Dr. Gamble, did you finally get him? Oh, sure, didn't I tell you? Oh, I got him. The minute I said steak and mushrooms over the phone, he let out a holler and you could hear him knocking patients right and left, trying to get out of his office. How's Beulah coming with the steak? Oh, it looks beautiful, but I'm afraid I'm not going to enjoy it much. Hmm? I can't sit there and eat calmly while my husband deliberately poisons himself and... Ah, don't talk silly, Molly. I wouldn't eat them if I didn't know they were good. I guarantee every one of these mushrooms personally. That's going to be a lot of help when the coroner starts patting my hand and tells me to be brave, though. Pooh <laughs> for the coroner. That political hyena has... Ah, my dinner guest. Come in, come in, come in. Hello, doctor. Hello, Molly. Hello, McGee, my dear boy. You know what you've done? What have I done, Doc, old sock? You've made me a very happy man. Ah, steak and mushrooms. Well, personally, Doctor, I'm glad you came. I think it's always nice to have a physician around at dinner time in case, well, if something should develop, I mean... Uh, <laughs> what she's worried about, Doc, is that these mushrooms might be toadstools. Oh. <laughs> Why, you silly girl. In 23 years of medical practice, I've learned every possible way in which people can make darn fools of themselves. <laughs> but I've never had a case of mushroom poisoning when the purchase was made from a reputable dealer... Did I say something wrong? What are you staring at each other for? Well, speak up. What's the matter? Tell it, McGee. Well, Dad, rat it just because a guy goes out into the woods and picks a mess of mushrooms and asks a friend... Wait a minute. You picked your own mushrooms? Yes, I did. Why, you murderous little maverick? What? You combination of Jack the Ripper, Lucrezia Borgia, Jekyll and Hyde, and Babyface Nelson? You perjuring little poison? On the other hand, Doctor, they might... On the other hand, brass knuckles. Does this half-baked nature faker think he has a gift for picking edible mushrooms out of 30,000 varieties of deadly fungi? Now, just a darn minute, Dr. Jamble. You don't need a thing Neither do you, you ignorant ninny. Well, you got a lot of moxie inviting me over here for a, quote, mushroom, unquote, dinner. Couldn't you kill me off some easy way? Attach a bomb to my self-starter, push me off a cliff, even stab me. But toadstools? Dad. Yes, but, Doctor, maybe... If you just let me explain... You're lucky I... you're not explaining this to the district attorney, you bloated little bluebeard. If I only... Say, look. You're serving the steak and mushrooms separately? Oh, yes, Doctor. I'm going to have some steak myself. Yeah, I thought it might be better... It might be better if I stayed, yes. I think so, too. I'm starved for a steak. And I'll be handy when little stupid here starts to fold up. Excuse me a minute. Hey, where are you going, Doc? Out to the car to get my satchel. Huh? I want to have everything ready when you start screaming and turning blue. Well, I'll go see about the salad. I'll run over to the drugstore and get some cigars. We'll be ready. Wonderful. More steak, Doc? Ah, no thanks, McGee. I'm so full of beef now, I'm afraid I'll meet Roy Rogers on the way home. <laughs> Shall we have the coffee in the living room, boys? Oh, let's wait and have it in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. <laughs> uh, how do you feel, McGee? Oh, me? Oh, I feel fine, Doc. Kind of full, but otherwise great. Hmm. You kids passed up a wonderful dish when you refused the mushrooms. There's still a couple left. Who wants them? Okay, I'll finish them myself. Shame to throw them out. Um, 
Any symptoms of cramp, McGee? Any sensation of nausea? Why, no, Doc. I feel wonderful. Only thing I'm suffering from is loss of appetite. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how soon can I breathe easy, Doctor? Oh, give him another ten minutes, Molly. If nothing happens, I'm going to write an article for the AMA Journal. We're making medical history. Any man who has the colossal effrontery to pick his own mushrooms and eat them is crowding his luck too far. Doggone it, I tried to explain to you about that. But you kept shouting at me, so I shut up. Explain about what, dearie? About how everybody was so nervous about my own mushrooms that I threw them out. What? Why, you... Why, I ran over to the grocery and got these. Hey, where's the toothpicks? I got... Yes, my boy. It's a cosmic injustice, but you'll live to make a pig of yourself many more times. Give him two more of these pills in an hour, Molly. Uh, Was it the mushrooms, Doctor? It was indeed. Not the quality, but the quantity. Just remember this, McGee. More people die from a fork in the mouth than from a knife in the back. Good night. Oh, good night. Good night, all. This is Harlow Wilcox speaking for the makers of Johnson Wax Finishes for Home and Industry and inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night we wrap up the week with Sherlock Holmes, followed by Life with Luigi. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.